Dave and Ryan's movie review, take six, and action. Everyone loves going to the movies. And while some are amazing, some are awful. Fortunately, we have Dave and Ryan, two guys with nothing better to do than watch movies of today and movies of yesterday. So get your popcorn ready, silence your phones, and relax, because the show is about to begin. Cue Dave and Ryan in three, two, one. It's Dave and Ryan's movie review. Sponsored by nobody. Welcome in to another great week of movies and movie making. I'll tell you what, Ryan, it's it's been a hard week for movies that you thought were gonna do well. Yes, yes it has. And I don't I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. But uh, you know what? We might as well start right there. Let's go straight to Hollywood with this one. Welcome to Hollywood Boulevard. A place of glitz, glamour, and dreams. Just kidding. This place is a dump. That's why Dave and Ryan come here each week. You get the news from Hollywood without fearing for your life on the Walk of Fame. It's This Week in Hollywood. All right, probably the biggest news in Hollywood this week, and so much so that we're going to talk even more about it later on in the show, is the actor strike that is pretty much eminent, it sounds like to me. Um, the, the union that represents actors and announcers, uh, journalists even, yep. dancers, DJs, everything, uh, has kind of voted already for a strike. They were nice enough to push it back from June 30th to July 12th, but it's sounding like it's going to happen. Yeah, it definitely does. And if this happens, it could be a mess for Hollywood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we're going to talk more about that. Um, we're going to spend a lot more time on that one because with the writer strike going on at the same time, it's kind of it's not necessarily unprecedented. It has happened before, yeah. but uh, it, it's not going to make things very easy and very nice for a town that kind of relies on writers and actors. So we'll get into that as well. Now, now to the box office part, and this is the part that... You know, I it really just baffles me. The the box office. We'll start with number five this week: Transformers: Rise of the Beast. Now, remember, this was just the week. Uh, Seven point three million. Uh, that puts their total at one hundred thirty six point four million. So not too bad on that one. Not too bad for Transformers. Uh, the Jennifer Lawrence film No Hard Feelings put in another seven and seven point eight million. Uh, to take their total to twenty nine. The one that really seems to be doing well is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. This came in at number th- three this week, down from number one last week, but with, with $12 million, but it's already banked $340.3 million. So that movie is doing well. Yes, yes, it is. And I think we, we kind of talked about that, maybe the fact that it's just a little different than everything else. Yeah. You know what's um, not on there? The Flash. Flash. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely it's correct. It's at number eight right now. <laughs> yeah, number two is <laughs> Elemental. Uh, twelve point one million with uh, about eighty nine million in the bank, and this one, it, great movie. I loved it, but it's just not doing what it's supposed to do. And that it was Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny only had a sixty million dollar opening weekend. Yeah, which is pretty pretty abysmal for for that movie for that franchise. And the more you dig into it, the the worse it looks. Because I think we did some some findings on this one. About three hundred and twenty-nine million dollar budget is what they're saying. Yeah, it's what they're saying. Quotation marks. And, and then another hundred million dollars on marketing. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
you know, this this movie has a lot of people split. A lot of people just don't like the ending. And I am one of those people who did not like the ending. Yeah, we kind of talked about that, how they could have changed uh, the, the ending and changed it up a little bit. Yeah. But I... You wanted it to do good. I just you wanted did. this you movie wanted to do good. You wanted it to do amazing. You, you truly did. And, and now maybe the only person that can help the box office uh, coming out on July 12th is Tom Cruise oh, with yeah. the next Mission Impossible. <laughs> and uh, Talk about a Mission Impossible. Yes, it is a Mission Impossible. Yeah, it needs all the help that it can get. And then also some sad news out of Hollywood. Alan Arkin, who won an Oscar for 2006. Um, Little Miss Sunshine uh, passed away at the age of 89. Uh, four-time Oscar nominee, this guy. Yeah. Fabulous movies. Uh, we, we talked about he was nominated for Argo, which was a great movie. Argo was a great movie. Um, the Heart is a Lonely Hunter and The Russians Are Coming. The Russians Are Coming. Those are a couple of older movies. Yeah, He was also in Edward Scissorhands. He was in Edward Scissorhands. Uh, he was also lent his vocal talents to Minions, The Rise of Gru. Oh, yeah. And one of my favorite Alan Arkin uh roles is uh so i married an axe murderer <laughs> yes he is great in that movie and it's just you know 89 years old so the light for alan arkin is is, is out now and uh he's got a great catalog if you yeah. get the opportunity to go and missed. check out some of his movies and his son adam as well um both of them are, are stellar actors so go check out alan arkin and some of his films and, and see what's going on with that so today we're going to talk about uh we went to the movies of course that's what we always do we went and saw sound of freedom this was a really good movie we're going to talk a little more about that and then we will talk about the actor strike and uh, spend some time on that this is another thing that was kind of like the writer strike the more you get into it it's like wow i didn't realize that yep Wow, I didn't realize that. So we'll get more into that. And then we'll wrap up the show with one of my favorite segments, Does It Hold Up? And you and I kind of actually took two movies that are... Very similar. Very similar. Very similar. So we'll talk about that coming up in just a little while. Uh, But first, before we move any further, it's the guy with the gorgeous dark voice from a dark room. It's this week's Honest Movie Review. Welcome back for another Honest Movie Review. Today, we go back to 2010 for the American romantic comedy film, Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. It comes every year whether you like it or not. Everybody's gonna love today, gonna love today, gonna love today. It's the day when your love life is put on display, where there's always a chance for romance or disaster. I view Valentine's Day as being a first date movie. If your date likes it, do not date that person again. I can't wait to speak with you again next week. Everyone on set, shut up. Shut up. These two buffoons are about to talk about a new release. Dave and Ryan's movie review segment one, action. What's more exciting than a brand new release to the movie theater? According to Dave and Ryan, nothing. They're the first to see it, so you're the first to hear about it. And this week's latest release is The Sound of Freedom. The incredible true story of a former government agent turned visual Annie who embarks on a dangerous mission to rescue hundreds of children from sex traffickers. Let's hear what Dave and Ryan think of The Sound of Freedom, which is rated PG-13 and playing nationwide. All right, so this movie, uh, quick disclaimer on this movie, it is a, a tough watch, and, and we talked about that. 
the fact that this movie, it's going to talk about things. You're going to see some things that may make you feel uncomfortable. Yes, yes. And it's made to make you feel uncomfortable. But this movie all deals with uh, child trafficking, human trafficking, the sex trade, and everything. And uh, it's a story that needs to be told. It really is. Because even though it makes us uncomfortable, it still happens every day. Yeah, it, it was hard to uh, to rate this movie because, you know, it's got a good message. You want people to hear that message, but it's also a film that's supposed to make money. So, you know, ju- you know, rating it was just a little difficult for us this week. And, and this movie actually has been done for quite some time. It was... Uh, originally funded by 20th Century Fox and, and this movie was supposed to be put out by them and then Disney bought the bought 20th Century Fox yeah. and it kind of got shelved yeah um, but it, it is it's a it's a story it deals with Tim Ballard now Tim Ballard some of you may know or have heard about Operation Underground Railroad yes he is the gentleman that founded Operation Underground Railroad and it starts very innocently with a gentleman in Honduras whose kids get invited to go and uh, see if they can become a model. That's how it starts. Yeah, it's like they're being recruited to be singers, models, actors. And so he takes them to this hotel where they're supposedly going to do, you know, a photo shoot. An audition. And an audition and those kinds of things. And they do not let him in the room. No. No stage parents allowed is what the lady says. And be back at 7 o'clock sharp. Now at 7 o'clock, he goes back, they're gone. Everybody's gone. The room is cleared out. And then it kind of cuts to uh, Tim Ballard, who was played by Jim Caviezel in this one. People may know him from, uh, what did I say, The Passion of the Christ. He was also in uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. And then the only other person that I really kind of recognize is Mira Sorvino, who plays his wife. Yeah, there was also a uh, Kurt Fuller was in there. He's he's a minor character, um, Tim Ballard's boss. Okay, played yeah, by, that's true. Yeah. yeah, you've seen him in quite a few things. But the thing about it is Ballard works for Homeland Security, yes. and they deal with uh, pedophiles. Yep, it's their job to capture uh, pedophiles, track them down. But and that's their only job. That's the only job. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of what got the wheels turning with him was. Uh, after one evening, the guy says, how long have you been doing this? His partner. And he says, well, I've been doing this for 12 years. Yeah. And he goes, and how many pedophiles have you taken off the street? It's like over 200. And he says, 288. And he goes, how many kids have you ever recovered? And that's what he tries to justify by saying, it's, it's not our job. It's not yeah. our job to do that. So one thing leads to another. He gets tied up with trying to find the the young boy, the brother and the sister from the beginning of the movie. And they do track down and find the the boy. Yes. And that's kind of where the roller coaster starts. Because now that he's found him, uh, the young boy tells him, you need to go find my sister. Yeah. yeah. You, you got to realize, you know, in his job description, it is to watch videos or any sort of evidence they have of any sort of um, pedophilia. You know, and that's, you know, just imagine yourself watching that, trying to capture and write down for a court case of what happened. And it's just going to tear you apart. And then when, you know, he kind of goes rogue for a little bit with his boss to, cap, you know, to uh, kind of capture him and try to find the um, kind of the the whole um, cartel or whoever's in charge of it. Um, and he ends up uh, getting the boy. That's how he gets the boy in the first place. And then the boy tells him about his sister. 
because uh, there was something about his a, name. A coin, uh, Timoteo. Yes. He had a St. Timothy coin that his sister gave him. And, and to go back just a second to talk about that scene is probably one of the toughest scenes to watch where, yes, that's his job, is to watch these videotapes and document everything that happens and that they do to these kids in these videos. Yeah, and the close-up on his eye, you can't really see the, re- the reflection of the screen, but you could just see the tears developing in his eyes. It was, you know, it was very emotional and powerful. And, and that's, what he, that's what he does for a living. He gets, of course, like I said, he gets the son back. He gets the son back to the father, and he decides that he is going to make it his mission to find the daughter now. Yeah, he actually uh, ends up taking like um, a week's leave from his uh, job. He's allowed to go um, try to find them, and he doesn't end up really getting anywhere. And so he kind of qu- he quits his job to pursue this. And so he he's kind of on his own now. He teams up with a couple of guys that are are down there in Colombia, kind of where all this takes place. Uh, teams up with a couple of guys there that kind of know how to do everything. And, and how to do this and that. Uh, the one gentleman that was a lawyer for the cartel uh, that got thrown in prison, and when he got th- out of prison, he made it his point. He started buying children and sending them back home. Yeah, and releasing he, he, he them. freed them. He, he bought a better life for them. So they they've hook up with him and a bunch of other... There's a police officer from that area, uh, a gentleman that's going to help him uh, fund all of this that he has worked with before, and what they're doing is really they set up, I would call it almost a sting operation. Oh, yeah. And they buy this island and they have, you know, they're going to have everybody out to this island where they can go and, and be with these these models, these kids for a week. Just yeah. them and the kids. A and, big and, super hotel, they called it. And they did it mostly. The main reason they did it was to get the, the most kids there that they could. Yeah. He was His goal, his whole goal of the movie was to try to find that little girl, the brother. The brother's sister. And in, he, they get all the kids there, and she's, of course, not one of them. So, yeah, But they did rescue 54. They did. They got 54 kids. And then they went and started doing, you know, he, he kind of spiraled for a little bit and, and kind of started to track her down. And they found a way to find her, and he finds her, and, and he gets her home. And that's really what this whole movie is about, as I said. The movie itself has some very uncomfortable moments in it, but I, they're supposed to be uncomfortable. Yes. It's, it's to let people know, guess what? This actually still happens because what was the scroll at the end of the movie? This is a, a billion-dollar industry, correct? Yeah, billion-dollar. It's, it's outgrown the, uh, the gun trafficking movement and the drug movement. And it's, it's a, I want to say, and I'm just throwing this number out there, but I think that's what it was, $150 billion a year? Yes, a year. In trafficking. For in human trafficking, yeah. so there was a powerful statement at the end. They said there was more people in slavery now than there was when slavery was legal. Right, and so yes, there's there's uncomfortable things that are talked about in this movie. There's no doubt about it. There's uncomfortable scenes. There are things that are that happen that are you know made to make you feel that way. But they're also trying to open people's eyes and saying this happens every day, and don't think that it can't happen to you because it could. Um, there is a great moment at the end of the movie as the credits are rolling where uh, Jim Caviezel comes in. 
talks about it. Uh, there is, if you go to the website, I wrote it down here, angel.com slash free tickets. You can actually pay for someone to go see this movie. That's how important yeah. they feel about this movie that it needs to get out or there. Or if you want to go see it and can't pay for it, you can go to the website and they will pay for your ticket. And they will get you a ticket. So once again, this is called Sound of Freedom, rated PG-13, about two and a half hours, right? Yep. I gave this one, we, we that, and that's kind of where we got into, you know, we had to have a discussion about it. Because as far as a movie is concerned, it's okay. It's yeah. not great. I gave this one three popcorn buckets. But as far as a PSA, because this is just something that needs to get out there. This is an announcement. This is a public service. I gave it a five. And, and I don't, what did you rate it? Well, with me, you know, it definitely wasn't a great movie. Um, there was a lot of uh, scenes in there where you're like, why did they film it this way? Um, you know, they were going for dramatic effect, but it just wasn't working as a movie. I gave it two popcorn buckets as a movie, but I agree with you on a PSA standpoint. It's five stars. Go see this movie. They're trying to start a movement. Go see the movie. Absolutely. So get on out there and see this one. If this isn't really your thing, you can always check out at the King Cole Theaters. Uh, right now is Elemental. That's a great family movie. Yes. And then... Go show some guy, the guy some love. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is still there at the Prize Theater. Go check this one out, too, because he needs all the love he can get right now. Great film. And then, as I said, next week we'll be reviewing the latest uh, installment of the Mission Impossible series, Mission Impossible 7, Dead Reckoning Part 1. So that that's we're looking forward to that one. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk all about actor strike. So we'll be back. Just stick around. Hey, idiots, we're back from commercial. Dave and Ryan's movie review, segment two, and action. We love to talk new movies and television shows, but what happens if we don't have any actors? Apparently, that's a real possibility. See, there's a contract between the Screen Actors Guild American Federation of Radio and Television Artists with the studios and production companies that employ them. Oh. That contract was set to expire last Friday night. However, talks have extended and the two sides have until July 12th to come to an agreement. Hurry up, sonny! The Guild is led by President and former nanny star Fran Drescher. You're kidding, right? Which begs the question, if you're the production companies, what's worse, caving to the demands of the actors or having to listen to Fran Drescher for hours upon hours? I don't know. I think that it's that part. When when I heard that she was the president of the Screen Actors Guild, I was like, man, that, what a great negotiating tactic for the actors. So, as it says, uh, the movie's we don't know what's going to happen. We we right now they've pushed it to July twelfth, but everything that I'm hearing, everything that I'm seeing, they're going on strike. Oh yeah, definitely. They are definitely. It's you know leading towards that. So I think you know by the twelfth, they're not going to reach any sort of agreement. No, in fact, I actually read one article that the guy was saying, "Why would we go out on June thirtieth? Who are we going to get and talk to? It's Fourth of July weekend. All yeah. the executives are gone." <laughs> So it doesn't really matter. Um, of course, we're talking about the actor strike. Many of the same issues with the actors are what's going on with the writers. You know, you've got streaming issues uh, that are making for, you know, less work, really, because they hurry and get everything done. And then they just sit in their 
done. They have nothing to go and nothing to do. And then, of course, AI, the same thing that we had with the uh, riders, and as well as royalty payments, all those other kinds of things. So, uh, really, they go hand in hand more than just they have to have something to read and they have to have somebody to act out what they're reading or writing, excuse me. So, there are a bunch of actors that have signed this contract or this uh, petition. Like, uh, what do we got? Glenn Close, Meryl Streep, Pedro Pascal, Joaquin Phoenix. They've all talked and written a letter to everybody, yep. and it's just not looking good. And, and as I said, this is not a time that Hollywood needs this to happen. No, you know, the, we just came out of a pandemic. Uh, you know, streaming is uh, bigger than it ever was before. So, you know, that's an issue that um, the Motion Picture Alliance doesn't want to talk about. They want to make all the money because that's where this money's come from, is a streaming service. Because like you, we've talked about when we were doing the Writers Guild, they could film a bunch of series and then the actors have nothing to do. And here's the other thing that people need to understand, too. If the, the actors go on strike, this is already starting to affect... Comic-Con. Yeah. Um, I believe Marvel and DC have both backed out of Comic-Con because they don't know if they're going to have actors to go to it. It could affect Fan X in Salt Lake City. Don't know what's going to happen there. Um, the movies that are done, if they need to do reshoots for anything, that's not happening. Nope. Uh, they were just talking about the fact that uh, Ernie Hudson of the new Ghostbusters movie says that the movie is filmed, but he doesn't think it's supposed to, it's going to come out when it's supposed to. And the other part, too, is if they're on strike and they have movies coming out, as in the, the movie that I used as a, for instance, say, Haunted Mansion that comes out the end of this month, or even Oppenheimer or the Barbie movie, if they're on strike, are they going to go to press tours and, and push these movies as much as they should? No, they're not. And it's, gonna, it's basically going to tank the movie that they're in. And, and so the other thing that was interesting about this is I looked back. There has been a time when both the writers and the actors were on strike together. Yes. It was in 1960. And the president of the Actors Guild at the time was Ronald Reagan. Ooh, getting practicing. Yeah, get him working. But, you know, the what was the last strike? Was 2000? Is that what it was? Yeah, the last strike was in 2000. It lasted six months. And it was over uh, commercial actors and their residuals for uh, television and radio ads. And, and that's another thing. We're talking about on-air personalities, yep. disc jockeys that are part of this. Um, you know, they say that the people that are in reality shows, they may be okay because yep. not all of them are. But they also have a separate contract. They're, they're, they're members, but they have a separate contract that's not part of this negotiating unit, I guess. But So they would be okay. But then you've got actors on shows that are like the, the, the one I used. The example that I used was live with uh, Kelly. Yeah, her also, and her husband are both remember actors. Game shows. Um, get, Steve Harvey is an actor. It will affect his show. Um, other, uh, other one, you know, The Price is Right. You know, there's more than, you know, just uh, movies and television. You know, you got to think a little bit outside the box more. And the one thing that we kind of, now that we've kind of given you a little bit of a broad stroke there with what's going on, uh, let's talk, because you kind of went through and pulled some more unions and guilds that are in, in the Hollywood area that are part of movies. Yep. And and who's the next? But then again, if, if writers and actors go on strike... Then most of these other guilds don't have anything they to do. They don't have a job. No. So let's talk about some of them. I'll let you kind of go through them. Okay. So the uh, the first uh, 
guild we have here is the American Federation of Musicians, or AMF. A lot of people know what that is. It's for music. You know, they give out awards every year for uh, music. Uh, International Alliance of Theater Stage Employees. That's for uh, theater actors and stage performers. And that was actually one that was mentioned in this one that's go- that's getting ready to happen now. That, yes. that guild was actually mentioned in that. So, you know, th- now we're talking Broadway may go dark. Yeah. Affiliated property uh, craftsperson. They do all the craft services and uh, uh, on-set decorations for the films. Uh, the Animation Guild, if you're into anime, you know, you could be losing your animation that you enjoy uh, there's the Art Directors Guild, uh, the Costume Designers Guild, International uh, Cinematographers Guild. The people that actually film the movie could go on strike. Uh, the Makeup Artists and Hairstyle Guild, uh, the Motion Picture Editors Guild, so people who edit the movies together. Uh, Production Sound and Video Engineer Guild, uh, Actors, SAG, as we talked about. The Teamsters. Teamsters are very important. Not a lot of people know what Teamsters do, but they're like the drivers, the location managers, and the casting directors. And there's uh, and also the Writers Guild that we talked about. You earlier. can't make anything in Hollywood without a teamster. No, you really can't. And the thing that we need to look at is this: is out of all of those, what do you think? Once the right the actors go on strike, who do you think is the the next domino to fall there? Uh, the next one, I believe, it will probably be the cinematographers, the people that actually film the movies. Yes, and and it's got to be. Would it be a frustration thing because? They, they really don't have work now. And, I, and, you know, the other thing that's about this, too, that I was thinking of is here we are sitting here and wanting to feel bad for millionaires. Yeah. Well, well with, the, with the cinematographers, you got to think about this. When you watch a movie, uh, a certain person's uh, film, it's shot a certain way. And that's because of the cinematographer is the ones that they always use to make it make sure it looks that way. You watch a Steven Spielberg movie. It's all it's that darker kind of gringy type of movie. Because he uses the same cinematographer for all of his movies, you know George Lucas. Um, there's um, uh, Avatar, uh, James Cameron. You know he his movies all have the same sort of uh, feel to all of them. So I think they will be the next ones to go. And once, but let, let's be honest. Once the actors go on strike, it's it's over. Not not necessarily. You know, there's there's still independent filmmakers out there who aren't a part of uh, any uh, guild or union that uh, could still make uh, films that, um, you know, they might, you know, a lot of people don't like independent movies because they seem to be more artistic or over the edge type of films. But this could be, you know, um, an opportunity for a new wave of independent filmmakers to kind of crash into the market, so to say. And and then that would give, you know, that would take that off the the plate of some people. But, you know, we're even talking not just movies, though. We're even talking television shows and your favorite streaming series. I, I know that they've said, you know, I read today that they've put the brakes on uh, the the Game of Thrones prequel that they're doing at HBO. And Stranger Things is still waiting. And, and all of these other streaming shows and movies and everything. It just It just stops. And as I said, right now, Hollywood can't take another black eye right now. No, well the, well, the thing with the like streaming services, they're going to be okay. They have a stockpile of uh, things they can they can stream out. You know, they don't you know they don't buy movies and then put them out at you know months before. You know, they have a stockpile of movies they bought over the years that they didn't put out because of this reason or that reason. So they have a giant stockpile of movies that they can release, and they'll be fine. People will still 
pay for the subscription and watch uh, new uh, content. So here's what we need to keep an eye on, though, is is making sure that that I I think right now it's a foregone conclusion that's going to happen. Yes. Everything is kind of pointing in that direction. So now we're looking at another dip in the box office because this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And can Hollywood... As, as the big studios are concerned, can they afford to have it go a month, two months, three months? I think some studios can. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, the stockpiling. Um, they can outlast some of these uh, guilds that are on strike to kind of use that to force them to, you know, meet their terms so that, you know, it'll meet the motion picture uh, guilds firm and not the actors or the writers they would have to cave so we'll have to see who i guess who blinks first yes uh i've read a lot of things where movies are starting to wrap up um i believe i just read today that deadpool 3 is very close to being done and i'm like well it's got to be done before the 12th <laughs> yeah. if it's not done before the 12th it will be yeah. so but the other thing too as i said we've still got a lot of big movies coming out this summer and this month alone, as I said, we've got um, you know Mission Impossible coming out. Then we've yeah. got the Barbie movie, Oppenheimer, a Haunted Mansion movie that Disney can't afford to have another failure. Yeah. If they go on strike, there will be no advertisement from any celebrity that was a part of the project. So we better get it together is what I think it needs to happen. And everybody just needs to realize that Fat Fran Drescher can talk a lot. Eh, there's nothing wrong with Fran Drescher. <laughs> All right, so just pray for a good resolution to the actor strike if you want to keep seeing movies. I guess that's yep. the, the lowdown on that one. All right, when we come back, does it hold up? We picked a couple of movies very similar, and we're going to talk about both of them and see if they really hold up to you know what they were when they first come out. So we'll be right back. All right, in the souls. Everyone quiet down. Dave and Ryan's movie review, segment three, and action. Every now and then, something comes out and makes a huge impact. And sometimes that impact ages like a fine wine. And others, we just really want to forget. Like all the times we laughed at the Cosby show. And we also used to play a buck buck. Hmm. So tonight, Dave and Ryan will dig up a movie from the past, and they'll answer this really uncomfortable question. Does it hold up? All right, this is one of my favorite segments when we talk it about it these is movies. A good one. It gives me a chance to go back and look at movies that were in my childhood, and I'm like, man, that movie was really good now, then. <laughs> and then I'm like, man, that movie's not really good right now. Uh, it just so happened that we watched one of them over the weekend. My daughter had never seen it. And I have, of course, speaking of the 1985 Tom Cruise classic, Legend. All things change, lady. The dreams of youth are the regrets of maturity. Dreams are my speciality. 
All right, right there, probably one of the best parts of this whole movie. Oh, I love Tim Curry in that movie. And we'll talk more about him. Of course, in this movie, star Tom Cruise. We looked it up. It's not even really... I. Th- we both kind of thought it was one of his first movies. Yeah. It was not, um, but it came out in 1985. He'd already had, what was it, four or five movies under his belt by then? Yeah. So Tom Cruise, um, Mia Sarah, and if you don't know who Mia Sarah is, she was Sloan in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. She was uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's wife in the movie Time Cop, which I feel is an underrated film. <laughs> you would. <laughs> and then, of course, Tim Curry. And a lot of people remember Tim Curry for Pennywise. No, I remember Tim Curry for Darkness from Legend. So what's it about? Well, Tom Cruise and Mia Sara are in love, plain and simple. And he decides that he is going to show her the unicorns. Yes. And the problem with that is they always go in hiding. They're very elusive, very, you know, hidden creatures. Darkness needs a unicorn and he needs them completely off of the face of the earth. So that he can take over. And so when Tom Cruise is showing Mia Sarah the unicorn, his goblins take out one of the unicorns and cut off the horn. And the other one escapes. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's all about getting the horn back. It's all about saving this realm. Now, this movie, I've already said, you know, we've got we've got darkness, which is, let's face it, it's Satan. Yeah. Let's be honest. Um, we've got goblins. We've got trolls. It's all those kind of things that happened in that movie that a lot of people were really into in the mid to late 80s. Yeah. yeah. The 80s had a weird fantasy sci-fi genre that was just kind of weird it truly did um it's it's a good story it's directed by ridley scott so it's not a terrible movie all right so um here's the thing (laughs) when i first saw this movie i was 13 years old and it was awesome (laughs) yeah my sister's obsessed with this movie as most things when you're 13 are um, it had Tom Cruise. It was just creepy enough to be scary. It was, you know, one of those movies that, all right, you're 13 years old. Let's, this is a good holding hand movie when you're in seventh grade. We'll go see it because it's kind of scary. Yeah. And and so that's kind of the vibe that we get from it. I remember watching. Are you calling this a teenage chick flick movie? Not we'll necessarily a chick flick. Not necessarily you a chick take, flick. You take your date, date. there. Date movie. <laughs> um, I can remember watching this movie in junior high school. You know, did you when, go alone? Yes. No. When, <laughs> in school. Oh, in they showed it in school. In school, yeah. I can remember seeing this movie in school. Um, it was it was a really good movie back then because, as I said, had a great story. Everybody knew who Tom Cruise was then. Uh, just really kind of getting into it and getting into, like you said, that sci-fi, that fantasy genre at the time that everybody was just loving. Okay. So then we sat and watched it on Saturday evening last week. Did your kids like it? My daughter did, but I found it. Maybe it's because I'm old. I don't know. Very hard to follow. You know, and I, and maybe that's just the way the movie was. And you and I kind of talked about yeah. that, that it is. It's it's a really hard to follow movie. Yeah. Well, back back in the 80s, they didn't have, you know, three hour movies that you could go you would go sit and watch. So they had to kind of jump in time to progress the story. And sometimes they skip things that are important to the story, but they just assume, you know, that happened. And I will be also totally honest um, how it didn't. But Tim Curry's makeup in this movie 
deserved an Oscar nomination. Yes, with he the, was the big fabulous. Horns, it was the big amazing. horns. He had the cloven hooves, um, red from head to toe. I mean, if you didn't, uh, that's how it was. If you didn't know it was Tim Curry, wasn't he like over eight feet tall too? Oh, he was huge. But if you didn't know it was Tim Curry, you wouldn't have known it was Tim Curry. Yeah. You don't even recognize him. Well, there, you recognize the voice. That's what I was going to say. There are parts of his voice that you underst- that you kind of were like, okay, I get that. But, I mean, he just completely disappeared into that character. And does it hold up now? I, I don't think so. Like I said, it, it, it's very hard to follow now. Very, very yeah. hard. But then again, I'm that type of person, and I'm of the age where... I have to watch everything with closed captioning anyway. <laughs> you know, if I can't find my glasses, it's like losing closed captioning. It's just one of those things. But if you've never seen it, probably go see it, I would say. It's, it's yeah, go see it. You, you, at least your teenage daughter will like it. Yeah, they, they will like it. Or, and, you know, uh, your wife who loved Tom Cruise. Absolutely. And, you know, there are some shots in this movie of Tom Cruise where... It almost seems like he's he's got this loincloth with nothing on underneath. I'm just putting that out there for the ladies. That's all. All right, Ryan, you take over. All right, the movie I picked this week is Willow. And now for my final amazing feat. I will make this entire pig disappear. <laughs> all right, this movie came out in 1988. It was directed by Ron Howard. Of all people, you might know him from the Andy Griffin Show, Happy Days. He also directed Splash, Cocoon, Backdraft, Apollo 13, and The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. It was written by George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars. So that says something right there. <laughs> Not only that, George Lucas, and, and we'll get into that here because it, it did get a, a Disney Plus series. Yeah. Not one to let something die. No, the if you've seen the Disney Plus series, I'm sorry, that's a horrible, horrible series. It, it wasn't, you know, uh, Willow was, was supposed to be a uh, fantasy um, family adventure show, and Disney turned it into a teenage drama show, which it was just it was just bad. It was bad. But, you know, it stars uh, Warwick Davis, uh, who stars as Willow. Uh, he's, you might know him from Star Wars. He played Wicket back in the day. Um, also Leprechaun, one through five. And he was in the Harry Potter films as uh, uh, Feltwick. I believe that's how you Flitwick. say it. Flitwick, yeah. Um, it also stars Val Kilmer as Mad Mortigan. Um, you might know him from Real Genius, Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick that just came out a little bit ago. Uh, the movie The Doors, Tombstone as uh, Doc Holliday. He was amazing as Doc Holliday. Uh, Jonah Worley, who was Sorsha, um, she is Val Kilmer's love interest in the movie. Um, she's a little more unknown. She starred in uh, also The Man Who Knew Too Little, uh, The Singing Detective, and Edge of Dark. Darkness, and also Gene Marsh as the Queen and Kevin Polk as Rule. And the love interest part must have worked because they did get married. They did in real life. They did so. Yeah, but uh, this movie follows the story of uh, Willow, who is a uh, a farmer in his small little town, who uh, discovers a baby, who is supposedly the savior of the world. And um, he's uh, tasked with taking the baby to uh, Tara's Lee for protection. And that's where he runs into Mad Morgan on his uh, travels, who uh, becomes basically uh, 
their knight in shining armor, even though he's kind of a, uh, a bandit, a scoundrel type of character. And uh, his love interest, Sorsha, is basically the queen's daughter. So she's trying to capture the baby so uh, the queen, who was a sorceress, can take uh, the baby's power and uh, basically rule the whole land. So um, it's a good show. Uh, you know, it's definitely a family-friendly uh action adventure of late 80s style so um uh i recommend uh seeing it if you haven't if you like the whole fantasy genre area um does it hold up yes and no um as a family fantasy adventure movie yes uh if you it was made today no it would get squashed at the at the box office well the other part of it too is and i'll be totally honest with you um I've only seen bits and pieces. I can't sit through this movie. I just can't. And I I don't know what it is with it. I I, I don't know. And my wife loves it. Oh, yeah. Loves it. And I think it has everything to do with Val Kilmer. <laughs> probably, probably. Back yeah, in the day. If anyone's seen Val Kilmer's character in this one, you know, the girls were just like, oh, my. Yeah, but, you know, it is George Lucas, so you've got to pay it some respect. But yep. George Lucas also came out with Howard the Duck. <laughs> I liked Howard the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> and the Radio Land murders. Oh, uh, let's not talk about so, that. So you've got to get into those things. But, yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with you on this one. Yeah, it, you know, it definitely holds up as a kid's uh, fantasy movie. And it's it's fun. It, and that's what movies are supposed to be. Yeah. It's a fun movie. So, you know, let's, let's kind of look at this as um, two movies, very similar movies, from yep. the 80s. That uh, just kind of were great then and fell flat. Yes, yes. But as we said, too, there there were also another couple of movies that came out in the 80s that kind of were tied in with these that were like, we should talk about that one. Yes. We should talk about that one. Like Labyrinth. La- oh, Labyrinth. was <laughs> That was another movie that was like in that genre and kind of yeah. came out with the same thing. So, it, you know what? Go see these movies. If you've never seen them, go see them. Yes. Let's just put it that way because you'll have fun. And even if you just laugh at them, you'll still have fun, right? Yeah. All right. So once again, that's going to do it for us this week. We're going to tie it up and get on out of here. Next week, remember, we will be seeing Mission Impossible Impossible 7. When are they going to catch up with the Fast and Furious movies? That's all I want to know. (laughs) Let's hopefully they don't. Crossover. (laughs) So Mission Impossible 7, Dead Reckoning. This is a part one. I believe two-parter, and I just read something today make a lot of people excited. Um, Tom Cruise wants to keep making Mission Impossible movies into his 80s. Wow. Right? So until then... Is he going to escape the nursing home? Maybe that'll be one of them. (laughs) Mission Impossible, escape the nursing home. All right, so until then, Dave and Ryan here. Have a great weekend. Go see some movies. Go see some movies. And that brings us to the end of this week's journey. But don't worry. Dave and Ryan have more movies to watch and more opinions to spew next week. Dave and Ryan will review Mission Impossible 7 starring Tom Cruise, which opens up nationwide next week. The duo will also talk about movies that have been made in the state of Utah and will bring back the reoccurring segment talking about cult classics. You can relive and download today's episode at CastleCountryRadio.com. We'll see you next week on Dave and Ryan's Movie Review. That's it. That's a wrap. See you next week.